This week, I'm going to be talking about the context of Jesus' ministry, specifically the religious context. And I'm going to be starting a short little series about this and how it epistemologically interacts with the prior probability of the resurrection. The idea for this was sparked by a conversation I had about a week ago with someone on the concession by the Jesus seminar that Jesus quote-unquote healed at least one blind person. So the person I was talking with said, well, don't you think that's a pretty big concession? Don't you think that's pretty significant and worth emphasizing to people that even the Jesus seminar admits that Jesus healed at least one blind person? And I asked, what, what do they mean by healed? And he said, well, they think it was psychosomatic. And I said, no, I, I don't think that's a significant concession. So as I went away and I got to thinking about that conversation, I thought that at the same time, it seems that there is importance to the religious context of Jesus' ministry so that his resurrection is not just a random weird event. And I think that that was bound up in this person's mind with this concession by the Jesus Seminar. So today I'm going to be talking about why we really shouldn't put much emphasis on that concession, but then next time I'll be talking about the uh, what I consider to be the actual importance or epistemological value of emphasizing that Jesus was a teacher and allegedly a healer and so forth, what that does what the function of that is epistemologically. So on this this concession by the Jesus Seminar, I thought of a way of putting my reasons for thinking that it's really not significant. And I thought of putting it this way. It's really barely any more of a concession than it is to say that Jesus existed. In other words, it's, it's barely anything more than a denial of Jesus' mythicism. Now, why do I say that? Well, in order to explain why I say that, uh, I'm going to talk about a, a theory in the philosophy of language called the, the theory of definite descriptions associated with Bertrand Russell. So a, a Russellian definite description, and what is that? Well, it's a description associated with a proper name that is what we mean by that proper name and that it can become important when we're asking did the person with this proper name exist so it's an illustration other than jesus uh take robin hood what is the russellian definite description associated with robin hood that is maybe the very minimal so that if someone didn't exist that satisfied this then robin hood did not exist well, at a minimum, I would say um, Robin Hood is, by definition, an outlaw who lives in the forest in England in the medieval period and uh, is good with a bow and arrow and robs from the rich to give to the poor. So there was a real person named Robin of Loxley, but if he didn't meet that description, then to say he was the real Robin Hood is maybe a little confusing and requires some clarification. Um, so when we think of Robin Hood, that description is what we immediately think of as kind of a, a bare minimum. 
So what about with Jesus of Nazareth? Well, I would say included in the, the bare mini, minimum Russellian definite description for Jesus of Nazareth would be his being widely held at the time to be a healer and an exorcist and a, a great teacher. So if there existed someone who was named or known as Jesus of Nazareth, but was just some obscure person that nobody ever thought was a healer, then, you know, that wouldn't really be uh, the existence of Jesus. So when Christ mythicists say Jesus didn't exist, you know, that they're denying the existence of someone that met that description of being, you know, living at that time period, being known as Jesus of Nazareth, being widely known as a great teacher, healer, exorcist. Um, so why do I say that that concession by the Jesus Seminar is barely more than a denial of Jesus mythicism? Well, this, this is why. When someone is widely known as a healer, it's kind of to be expected that you will have some psychosomatic, quote-unquote, healings. If someone really does just have something psychosomatic wrong with him to the point that um, changing his psyche can change his symptoms significantly, then it's not that surprising at all that his undergoing some kind of uh, experience with a person who is whom he strongly believes uh, is capable of healing him that that might actually result in his symptoms going away. Um, if anything, I would say that the biggest part of that concession by the Jesus Seminar is a pretty robust notion of psychosomatic illness, that you could actually be blind as a, as a result of psychosomatic illness. But that's kind of a separate question from how strong the evidence is for, for Jesus as a real healer. Uh, once Once we grant that you could have psychosomatic blindness, then you know, to have a psychosomatic quote-unquote healing on the part of Jesus is kind of similar to, maybe not directly entailed by, but uh, pretty highly probabilified by his being a, a widely uh, touted healer, okay, widely believed to have healing powers. So that's kind of close to saying that Jesus existed. So that's why I say this, okay? And I, I think this is related to minimalism. In minimalism, there is this tendency to kind of, kind of wring all the juice we can out of the concessions by secular scholars, liberal scholars, skeptics, etc. Wow, isn't, isn't that kind of striking that even Bart Ehrman acknowledges fill in the blank? Um, you know, sometimes I, I urge people to hesitate to debate Jesus mythicists because, among other things, I think that doing so can give you a kind of a, a, a misguided notion of how much you've accomplished. So it would be sort of like defeating someone at chess who's much weaker than you are or weightlifting with only a very, very light weight. You think you've really accomplished something when you really haven't. And so I think this kind of use of, of minimalism has something of that same feeling. 
like, hey, wow, this is cool. And it, it causes us to kind of hype too much what we're really getting from those scholars. Um, and you might say, well, Lydia, the reason that you say that is because you're not realizing that all that historians can say as historians is that Jesus did things that caused people to drop their jaws in wonder. So we're going to tweet that out. You know, it's widely admitted by scholars that Jesus performed acts that caused people to drop their jaws in wonder. Well, so do a lot of um, charlatans. So, so do a lot of false teachers. So, do, so does Benny Hinn. Um, so when you stop to think about it, we really shouldn't be putting a big exclamation mark after that. Um, I think there is a false notion that that's all that historians can say. Can say. And here's how I would uh, defend that, that that's a false notion. Some of the same apologists who will be out there saying, well, all that historians can say is that Jesus performed acts that caused people to drop their jaws in wonder, think that they have a strong historical argument for the resurrection. But the resurrection itself is a miracle. So the kind of demarcation theory is, is actually false, and they're kind of admitting that it's false. Uh, it's not true that as historians we cannot say that a miracle happened and that as historians the most we can say is that people you know uh drop their jaws in wonder over some event if you really think you have a good inference to the best explanation that jesus rose from the dead then apparently we can make a good strong historical inference for a miracle um how much of a similar inference we can make for some various miracles during Jesus' ministry will depend upon the specifics of the case, how much detail we have in the Gospels, how reliable the Gospels are, what other possible explanations there could be, and so forth. But demarcationism isn't going to uh, to save this overemphasis on uh, secular concessions. Demarcationism is uh, the attempt to make very strong statements about what's part of what we can do as historians or as scientists and what's uh, only something we can do as Christians. Um, so demarcationism is almost always misguided. And uh, in this case, I think we can say a lot more than just that uh, Jesus did uh, things that caused people to drop their jaws in wonder. Um, the very fact that I think we can make a strong historical case for the resurrection is part of that pushback against demarcationism. So, uh, no, the Jesus Seminar is not acknowledging everything you could possibly ask for, everything that historians can argue anyway, when they acknowledge that Jesus probably psychosomatically healed at least one blind person. So, that's my negative case here and saying, let's not get overly excited about that. Let's not act like we've got some great big concession for that. Next time, I'm going to be talking more about the, the actual significance of saying Jesus was a teacher. Uh, he was alleged to be a healer. He did claim that he had been sent by God and so forth. And what role that plays in our epistemic routing and in the prior probability of the resurrection. So come back for that next time. Thanks for watching. Please be sure to like and subscribe. I'm Lydia McGrew.